What up, what up, what up? Welcome to the Mike Janella Show. Mike Janella here, obviously. It is my second podcast episode. Hopefully it won't be my last. And thanks for listening. Uh, we're on iTunes now. That's very exciting. So if you found me through there, uh, welcome. Definitely download and subscribe to the podcast so we get this thing going. Uh, my first ever episode last week with Bobby Kruger. I want to thank him again for swinging by. And now we're taking off. Hopefully this is uh, even better than last time. And hopefully that's the case every time out. Really good guest for you this week. Uh, Bradley Clapp is our guy. If you don't know him, you're going to love him at the end of this show. Uh, when I used to, my old life, be a minor league baseball broadcaster, I was a play-by-play guy for a couple of years, and the highest level I got to broadcasting-wise was single A in the minor league system for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Bradley was a starter on the Hickory Crawdads team that I broadcast for down in North Carolina. We were there the summer of 2008 together. One of the most engaging, coolest guys I've ever met, and he had to uh, hang up the cleats a few years ago. Now he's working for Nike. We'll talk to him a little bit about that, but I wanted to bring him on because of that athletic background and with the MLB draft happening last week, uh, he was someone that I thought could really offer a lot of cool insight and expertise into that, so we talk about that. But the thing I wanted to talk to him the most about was what it's like to kind of go through this retirement uh, decision in your 20s, you know, this is a guy who spent his entire life, and this is something that a lot of athletes go through all the time. Uh, you know, your entire life is working toward this one goal, making the majors, making the NBA, whatever. And then what happens when you're not even 30 yet and you got to decide to hang it up? And this was something I've always wanted to talk to him about, and I was just finally able to get him on a microphone and chat with him live from uh, New Orleans. He was down there on a business trip. So uh, it's got some great stories, some great minor league war stories. The time some pretty girls cost him potentially his career uh, for flirting when he was down uh, in the minors on the farm. Some other great stories like that. So if you like sports, you like hearing about kind of the behind the scenes, the behind the curtains of what it's like to be a pro athlete, this is the guy that you're going to want to listen to. We'll get to that in a second. I also want to let you know that toward the end of the show, I'll have my little uh, couple minutes to talk about uh, the one thing I want to chat about this week, and that one thing is Game of Thrones. It will be very spoiler heavy, so we won't talk about that during the interview with Brad, but at the end, and I'll remind you again, don't worry about it, but uh, that'll be my thing toward the end, so stay tuned for that. But first, here he is, a five-season veteran of professional baseball, uh, made it up to single A, like I said, uh, with me and the Hickory Crawdads, a 19th round draft pick in the 2004 MLB draft, and my favorite baseball player of all time. Let's get to know Bradley Clapp. Bradley, what's up? What's going on, my man? Man, it's uh, we were just talking off air. It's been literally, I think, uh, like six years, seven years, something like that, since we've talked live. Uh, we text uh, every so often, but man, to hear your voice, it's it's a pleasure. I know, it's been far too long. I need to get in the booth with you sometime soon. <laughs> I wish I had a booth still to bring you up to. Those are some of my uh, my best days of my career. Uh, absolutely, me too. <laughs> well, I, I mentioned in the open to the show, uh, kind of our background, you were uh, one of the Crawdads' most legendary starting pitchers. Uh, we shared a season there down in Hickory. Uh, and you were, I mean, you were by far my best booth guest ever. I did the play-by-play for a few years. And anytime you were up, pre-game interviews, post-game, you were always down for an in-game uh, you are my favorite baseball player, I think, all time. You and Ray Ardoña is top two, so congratulations on that. Hey, Mike, I really appreciate it. And to be in the class of Ray Ardoña, <laughs> who possi- possibly could have the slickest hands I've ever seen, it's a welcome company. 
Nice. Well, uh, wanted to talk to you because, you know, it's not too often you get to have a former professional athlete on the podcast kind of talk through that. It's that time of year. MLB draft was just, uh, it was last week by the time people hear this. Uh, so I want to definitely get your uh, opinions on that and thoughts on that. But we'll talk about that later. But give us a quick uh, idea of what you're doing now because your last season <clears throat> professional ball was 2009, right? 2010 was my last season. Uh, I had back-to-back injuries and then uh, I hung it up midway through uh, when I figured out that uh, my body was made of glass. <laughs> Which is not, I guess, the right material for a professional athletics career. No, not at all. Well, talk about the whole experience, uh, but give me, what, what are you up to now? What, was, what are you doing? You're working for a company I think a couple people have heard of? Yeah, so uh, it's a pretty familiar name. I work for Nike Inc. Uh, we're based out of the great Beaverton, Oregon. Um, but right now I'm our territory manager for team sales in Texas and Louisiana, and so I, I'm focusing on putting a Nike uniform and Nike product on every varsity high, high school athlete um, in my territory. My goal is to get every school, every athlete uh, introduced to our products, and it's kind of like the ultimate dream job for a guy who spent his entire life in a dugout or on a bench, and really it's just day-to-day interactions with athletes, coaches, athletic directors, um, you know, obviously telling my story as a player, coach, and scout, and then just letting them know that, you know, as a brand, we're behind them because all we do is we want to inspire them to, you know, one day, you know, be in the national championship and be in the NBA finals one day. All right. So now that the Nike commercial's over, um, tell me about, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a, for high school, that's a sick territory, man. You get, I mean, football down there, baseball down there. Um, how stoked are you that you're there and not like, I don't know, Idaho or something like that? Well, so I got to choose. They let me choose between Chicago and the upper Midwest and Texas. And all I could think about was Coach Eric Taylor, Friday Night Lights, with little Tammy Taylor on the side. Clear eyes, 15... full hearts. Can't lose. Man. Texas forever. Um, no, I, I was really excited because I wanted to go experience Friday Night Lights. Um, you know, uh, one of the schools I work with has 15,000 fans coming to their games on Fridays. Jeez. And to, to be on the sidelines for that, I think, is going to be a really, really cool experience. Plus, uh, the passion that the communities have is really, really, really impressive. So what's that like? I mean, your competitors, we were talking a bit uh, before we got on the call here, but you're dealing with who? Under Armour, obviously, I think is a big one. You see them on high schools everywhere. It's like Adidas a thing. Reebok is kind of so 90s. Like, who are you dealing with right now? So really, it's, uh, I mean, we have competitors at every level. Um, You'll have your, like, local, almost regional uh, distributors who have their own brand. But really, on a national level, uh, Under Armour, Adidas, Wilson, Rawlings, um, you're going to see some Mizuno out there. You're going to see Russell's really big. I mean, there's some really great, strong brands that we all grew up, and I'm just saying we all, because I'm, I'm hoping that our, um, you know, your audience is at least our age, so they understand what those brands are. Yeah, for sure. Um, but but those, but those, there's some really strong brands that have been around 40, 50 years that uh, we compete against, and there's a one of the things you'll learn. Um, and all of that flexes, there's a strong loyalty to a brand that has treated you well. So mm-hmm. um, really really building relationships is <laughs> the biggest part of my job. And coming in there, maybe flashing a smile, a couple high fives, and telling a few stories kind of gets me a long way. Man, lucky you've got one of the best smiles in the biz, Bradley. I've seen that one in person. Oh. I'd love to know it works. 
what's a good what's a good story because you and i we used to when we rode the bus with the crawdads it was always me in the front seat riding shotgun as the broadcaster and you as kind of one of the vets you got that seat right behind me so uh we we've got some road stories but what's a good one you tell you know if you're coming into a high school and you're trying to sell these kids on the fact that you know i've lived the dream that you want to get to Here's why I'm trying to sell to you without selling to them. Give me a good story that you tell a good 16-year-old kid and, and that group to cut, try and win them all over on your side. If I'm trying to get a 16-year-old kid to come out and play professional baseball, I would tell him probably one of my favorite stories. Um, we're at home, LP friends. We're playing the Greenville Drive, and I've had a pretty rough year. Um, I'm probably seven at this point but you know my stuff's good i'm feeling good about everything i go out and i just start mowing down guys early contact um you know it's like what the pirates had dreamed me of doing every single time out but i go seven innings so about 65 pitches i think approximately and all of a sudden i get pulled because we had a bullpen arm that needed to get work and i was like greeny I'm at 65 pitches, man. You gotta let me go out there and run this out, complete game, shutty. Mm-hmm. And Green's like, Green, Green was just like, man, we don't know what to do. We gotta get this bullpen guy. And I go, I mean, what am I, chop liver? And so we had this discussion, leaned on an argument, um, and it was one of the most passionate times I've ever been. And it was kind of like that moment where I was like, you know what, this is what I've always wanted to do, and. You go out and you're in front of you know LP friends on a Friday fireworks Friday, Mike. You know there's about yeah, forty five hundred there. Yeah, forty five hundred, five grand. They were packing them in some of those Friday nights for sure. Yeah, you know it was a big time game for me, and um, it was really kind of my my moment where it validated the, the previous years, and that was where it kind of sunk in that like I had made the right choice, and it was just one outing that did that for me. You make it sound like uh, Kevin Costner and um, you know for love of the game or something, but that's exactly what it's like. Because when you're on the field, you know it's those the floodlights are down, yeah, the crowd is buzzing. It's a Friday night. They could be anywhere. They're, they're there to see you, and you're you know putting up zeros on the board. Uh, that's kind of what you get into it. I want to sign a I want to sign a deal with your with you guys right now. You just got me on board. I mean, I mean, I, I, you talk about it being a Kevin Costner movie. It is. I think of like the romanticism of like getting pulled in the standing after getting my butt kicked. Going down to the clubhouse with our strength coach, probably Big Dale, get my work in, have Redbird run down to the gas station, get me a six pack. <laughs> I sit in that beer. I sit. I sit in the beer garden all by myself and watch ourselves come back and win a game. Might not have any impact on that game positive, but it was so fun to see the guys that you ride the bus with for 16 hours go back and actually do something great. That's what baseball is all about. That's my only baseball. The only thing I miss is the camaraderie and the competition. I feel like any athlete, no matter what level they got to, you ask them, what's the one thing you miss? And the camaraderie is always the number one thing. But put it like, give me some more perspective for people that don't know that or never got to that level. Because I know a lot of my buddies, you know, they got to high school, they got to college, and they experienced that too. But when you're out there with other guys and you're actually making a living off this, and it is 16-hour bus rides, and it is every single day for four straight months, I mean, what's, what does camaraderie mean at that level? It means you're not going to be best friends with every single person in that clubhouse because there's no way that every personality is going to mel- like mesh and create this sort of happy environment. But what it is is there's a professional respect for the work that they put in. You know the guys that are going in and putting their work in and doing their due diligence. And, you know, as a pitcher, you want to see the guys behind you or the guys that you know are putting their work in. And 
when you when you know someone's given everything they got, they're not hungover, they're not whatever it might be that could affect their play. You have this kind of professional respect, which kind of builds into a friendship. And you know, you're on a six-hour bus ride. You're only going to get to watch four movies on that bus ride, and you all got to pick it. So right. there's these certain things. There's these certain things, and it just kind of all comes together where whether or not you like each other as people, you're going to respect one another as a professional, and it just kind of breeds this competitive friendship kind of nature. And it's, I mean, I think about some of the guys that I wasn't that close with that I still kind of keep in touch with, but then I also have my crew of guys who I still talk to every day. And so um, it, it's very strange how it works where there's guys who I thought I never talked to again or stand, and I actually have a legitimate relationship with them post-baseball. Something you touched on, you mentioned real quick there, was the buses and having to pick the same movies for everybody to watch. It's crazy how we, it doesn't seem like we were that long ago that we were in the minors together. And I say we loosely because I never threw a pitch. But nowadays, I mean, this was right before kind of iPhones blew up, iPads, all this kind of stuff. When, yeah, you had to put in the one DVD that everyone on the bus had to watch because you had those like little TVs that are over every third seat, like an old airplane. Can you what can you imagine what it would be like to be in the minors now? Do you talk to any guys that are still doing it? How much different do you think it'd be if you were coming up today instead of the years you did? The iPad could be the greatest invention for minor league baseball. <laughs> um, I talked to a few guys that play. Everybody has an iPad. They you know they get their movies on their iPad. They kind of have their own little zone. Um, I think that's why a lot of the people have a different perspective now because you don't have eight TVs for a group of 35 people that are three inches big. Everyone's in their own world. Um, and so obviously that's the evolution of technology in the world, but that just kind of takes away from, and me, that, that was some of the fun stuff. I mean, I remember sitting down with Mullican trying to talk to him about God knows what, and you know, there's guys like Castor and some other guys that you just kind of, you learn to talk to because you didn't want to watch the movie. And so mm-hmm. when you have an iPad and you're, and you're, you know, you have your beats on. You just you're in your own world. You don't have that uh, ability to communicate with guys, and I think you lose a little bit of that uh, nuance to the baseball because you're going to talk about baseball no matter what. Yeah. What about the social media aspect? Because I know when we were when we oh. were down there, Twitter hadn't really blown up yet. You know, there wasn't Instagram didn't exist. Uh, now, if you were playing, I'm sure you'd be out if you had a bad game, you'd be hearing about it online. If you had a good game, you'd still find people that were complaining about something. Are you happy or uh, or upset that you couldn't play in kind of this new age where you'd have all this access with, with fans and other people? And by other people, I mean like the ladies, because I'm sure picking up girls on the road when you're a young guy with social media would be a lot easier than it was for your colleagues back in the day. Uh, to give people context, when we were playing, when Mike and I were traveling the, the eastern seaboard in a Greyhound, I had a BlackBerry 8330 and a, uh, what was the sidekick? I had the T-Mobile oh. sidekick. So I, I was rolling two phones. Like a I had, boss. I had a four two, oh, I mean, I, I, thought I, was, I thought I was the new Rick Ross before Rick Ross. <laughs> um, I, I'm, you know, I'm thankful for the lack of social media because I was a really bad statistic baseball player. I wasn't good statistically. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know. I would I would hate to have to have myself, you know, post, hey, I got my butt kicked tonight or whatever it might be. But um, I think about now, 
you know, going on the road, there's a thing called Tinder. I, you know, I haven't used it. Oh, I didn't even think about uh, that. Oh. Imagine again, Mike. Imagine if you, had, you know, if I had Tinder on the road, I'd probably still be in Greenville, South Carolina, <laughs> right now, maybe. <laughs> I would have never left. Or you'd be like Sean Kemp. You'd have like a girl in every town, up in Lakewood and then down in Greenville uh, and who knows. Oh, uh, I mean, Charleston. I, I still I still think I should have stayed in Charleston. There were, I mean, there was some talent on the field and off in Charleston, if I remember correctly. That's a that's a hell of a town. Oh, my favorite. One of my favorite. That and Lexington, Lexington and Charleston, they can have my heart. Yeah, I mean, Lexington was right in bourbon country. I think they had, like, Maker's Mark on tap at the concession stands there, if I remember. That was, a, that was an awesome stadium. Yeah. Man, I didn't it think was of... Apple, it was, Maker's, was Applebee's Park at Maker's Mark Field or something like that? Right, yeah, they were right in the name, too, which was hilarious yeah. the first time I got there. Um, that's a good segue, because I didn't even think about Tinder, because that's, I mean, a game changer um, for anybody, oh. let alone a pro athlete that's, you know, town to town and young and single. Uh, even some of the guys, you know, who aren't single that want to be adventurous, not going to get into that, with, you know, about anybody. But yeah. talk about um, at the time, and you don't have to get personal, but, you know, about just the culture in general. I mean, you know, you think about cleat chasers, slump busters, uh, sending a, a ball boy into the crowd to get a girl's number. What's it like being a, a pro athlete? Because even at a single A level, I mean, I was at B-dubs. I'd show up when you guys were there and the ladies are just flocking to you no matter what. So talk to me about that. Mike, I'm going to give you the story where my career really turned around, and it was in Greenville. I went out the night before. Um, I threw a great game. I just got. I was just told I was going to get promoted, so I was going to Lynchburg, and I was really, really pumped. So I go out that night to celebrate. I meet a group of young women. I invite them to the game, so as you know, I can leave tickets in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, they see me doing charting, at, you know, during the game, so they come sit right behind me. And they're talking to me. Well, right in front of me is Kyle Stark, Greg Smith, our front office. And they turn around and they go, are you going to tell them to leave? And so I was like, hey, ladies, can you move? Move down the first baseline, get new tickets. In between innings, I go over there and kind of apologize. Next thing I know, I got Kyle Stark and Greg Smith coming over, pulling me back to my seat. And they're like, well, it looks like you're not ready to move up. I will say women are the best and worst thing about professional baseball. Man, I never knew that story. That's crazy, man. That, that literally that changed is, your that, career. Oh, a hundred percent. So I, uh, I went down, I, you know, and then I ended up, uh, blowing out my elbow, uh, about a month later. And it was just, it was the biggest change for me. And, you know, it would have happened regardless, but it was, uh, it was a good experience for me. I obviously matured from that moment, mm-hmm. but the, Whatever level of baseball you're at, I think when you wear a baseball uniform, uh, pretty girls like you. No matter what you look like, pretty girls like you in a baseball uniform. The same, the same can't be said for a baseball team polo for the guy up in the booth. Um, but yeah, you're right. When it comes oh. to the uniform, that's it's, no. a, it's a magic key. No, Mike, we had a good time. I remember, I remember some good times. You came over to the Taj. You know, when we had a, a good, we had a couple of good little parties everywhere. Talk, so. talk about the Taj. Tell the people what that is. Uh, the Taj is the name. I'm a big nickname person. Obviously, you know, Killer Mike. Um, that's me. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, that's that's our host here, folks. Um, I just, yeah. I nickname things. So the Taj, I, I understand this place that to me was just this imperial power. And so to me, it was the Taj Mahal. And so we just shortened it to the Taj. We had a good crew. 
in and out. Um, I just can't think of uh, I can't think of Hickory without it. To be honest, um, you know, having having B Dubs right there. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's a dangerous combination. Um, and I was I was not shy to host some people over to have a few cocktails. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get to make the exclusive list a couple times, get past the velvet rope. It was oh. everything it was cracked up to be. I mean, I mean, Mike, you you could have been you could have been a frequent visitor. I would have given you that that gold card to the Prado. <laughs> I was busy researching, you know, your prior ten starts to be prepared for the next broadcast for your start. <laughs> well, just just in case I broke the record for career losses, I get it. I mean, <laughs> you did you did at one point, right? I uh, I know. I, do you remember? Do you remember Mark Parker? Yeah, of course. Mark reaches out to me and lets me know, and I still hold that record. Oh, uh, nice. So. Yeah, Mark was there, just kind of a do-it-all guy for the crawdads, and he's uh, definitely unofficial historian, I think. So that's nice of him to keep reminding you. Uh, well, I just, you know, at least I left my mark. You did. I remember, though, because the last season, the season I was there, so 09, um, or 08, I forget now at this point, but the last couple starts of the season we had together, you actually, I forget the exact statistics, but you gave up like only two earned over your last four starts or something. You were really finding a groove, and then... Uh, it just sucked that yeah. you know the injuries again the next year kind of took you off the rails. But um, I thought you were turning yeah. the corner there. I, mean, I was pulling for you. Yeah, uh, that's the game of baseball. I've learned that now in my old age. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. That was that was a real fun part of my career. Um, I think I actually learned how to pitch a little bit and maybe be a leader at one point. But um, you know, being made of glass, it's tough. So tell me about that, because that's an important part of why I wanted to talk to you, because I think a lot of people, sort of our age, you have this game plan. It's, you know, high school, college degree, internship, job, climb the ladder, get, you know, VP by 35, get this by 40, whatever. But for you and other pro athletes, I mean, your, your dream job, your dream track, best case scenario, you're retiring from the bigs, you know, from the majors by, say, 40. But then for someone like you, where you have to decide, you come to this crossroads and you're like, you know what, this... This just isn't going to work. What's that? That's got to be some soul searching, right? Because you're in your 20s and this thing you've dedicated almost your whole life to, you got to look in the mirror and say, you know what? It's time to hang them up. And I can't imagine how difficult that decision is. Talk to me. Talk me through that process. Talk everyone through that process of what it's like to be a pro yeah. athlete and decide, you know what? This this just isn't going to work. It, I mean, I I, uh, I started writing down. I, I told myself when I got a job at Nike, I was going to write a book. And I started the book with my very last day as a professional athlete where I walked down at 6 a.m. Tom Prince, who's one of my favorite people of all time, calls me to the side. He goes, hey, we need to talk to you. And I knew exactly what was happening. Let the folks know who Tom Prince is real quick. Okay, so Tom Prince. Give a little background Tom Prince. Tom Prince is like a 15-year big league vet. Backup catcher. Can't hit a breaking ball to save his life. <laughs> Just the saltiest of salt. He is one of the biggest, I don't know if I can swear, but badasses. Uh, yeah, that's a good enough swear. Don't go worse than that. <laughs> okay, we're good. Yeah. So Tom, Tom Prince is a mentor. Um, he's a friend nowadays. Um, he is one of the best men to teach the game of baseball. He's now in Altoona after, I think, seven years of being a roving catching coordinator and manager at the lower level. So he's managing Altoona. Um, just a great man. But, you know, he's a mentor. He pulled me aside and told me, hey, I need to talk to you. You all knew a room. 
they have the secretary there, they have the farm director, they have Jeff Bannister, now now the manager of the Texas Rangers. They pretty much tell you, hey, Clapper, you're not cutting it. See you later. You sign this paper, they hand you an envelope of cash, and you're on your way. Um, the, the trick is you don't want anyone to know because you just got your heart ripped out. So you go back up to your dorm room, you tell your roommate, hey, don't say anything. And at this time, it was Harrison Bishop, my best friend since I was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, Harrison goes down to work out and starts the day. I sat on the end of my bed. I weeped a little bit. I beat the heck out of an alarm clock, um, packed my bags, went down, said goodbye to the training staff, packed my locker, got in my car, and I drove around Florida trying out for different clubs, played well independent ball, and I looked around at my dugout one day, and I said, this ain't for me. I can't, I mean, I can't do it. And I literally just drove home that day, um, called my parents when I was about an hour away. I said, hey, I'll see you in an hour. And, uh, you know, they were obviously excited to see me, but uh, it was also they knew what it meant. I had, I had officially given up on uh, pursuing the dream of being a big league baseball player. And it was about it was about three months until I really kind of got back on my feet and had a little bit of normalcy. Um, obviously, I used, uh, used my own methods to get over that. Um, and it was, it was tough. You know, I watched a lot of baseball and was very resentful of the game. And it took me a little bit of time to realize that the game picks and chooses um, a very finite amount of players mm-hmm. who get to play into the lights at the biggest level. And um, I now, now I look back, and obviously I'm really blessed to have the opportunity to work at a great company. Um, but for a while I was into the game a lot, and I think that's pretty consistent. A lot of guys that I know that I, I talk to, they don't even watch the game anymore. And I think that's sad because wow. this game gave us a lot. It gave us a lot. And we owe the the respect of the game to, you know, at least enjoy it. And that's the other thing. You talk about how the game kind of, and I I think baseball more than any other sport, maybe hockey, it's the one thing where guys talk about the game like it's an actual person um, because of the history and kind of the the camaraderie and the the quirks of it. But it doesn't just pick who makes it. It also picks the timing. You know, a lot of people think, oh, after maybe you just had a rough season, you decided, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm going to move on. But the game kind of chose you. Uh, you know, if you hadn't got that call down to, you know, when you got cut that day, maybe you keep going, you, you, you fight through that spring training and you get a good break down the road. But the game kind of told you at that point and through injuries or over time, and you're not the only one, uh, a lot of times, you know, no one can call their shot when they want to go out on top. Uh, it's usually you get that decision made for you. I mean, that's exactly it. You, uh, it's out of your hands. Really, most of the, I'd, I'd say most of the guys that play professional baseball the game tells you when you're done. You don't get to make that choice. So talk me more through that transition period because you say you had those three months where you're kind of just in a haze, really angry kind of at life and whatever. What got you back on your feet? What was that thought process? How do you go about finding a real job? Because you are you have obviously transferable job skills you know, because you, you spend all this time and it's not just playing games. You're doing a lot of stuff while you're a ball player. Um, do you think about coaching right away? Do you think about, you know, going into some kind of instruction? Do you think about media at all? What's that? What's the first thing you think of when you're like, all right, got to find something new? So while I played baseball, um, I was going to school sporadically. And so I'd been working down towards my degree. Um, and what really snapped me out of it, I was at the University of Washington watching one of their games, uh, their last series against Washington State for the Apple Cup of Baseball. And I met, I met a nice young lady 
um, who was graduating, and she and I hit it off. And I actually, I hope she never hears this, Mike, but she told me she was after graduation, she's moved back to Portland. And I just said one day, I go, oh, no way. I just got a job down there. <laughs> and I literally drove down on a Tuesday, signed a lease in an apartment. I was uh, signed on to be the general manager at a few gyms in Portland. And then a few months later, Nike came calling, and uh, the rest is history. And is that the lady you're still with today? No, that is that is not. She actually moved to D.C. about six weeks after I moved to Portland. So um, <laughs> it it didn't work out, but bless her heart, if it wasn't for her, I don't know if I'd be talking to you right now. Yeah, you'd be you'd be chasing those Greenville girls that that ruined you in the playing career. You chase this girl to Portland. I, I'm sensing a pattern. This isn't good for you. Yeah, I think I think I'm a bit of a hopeless romantic. Uh, you you and me both. Um, so. <laughs> So let's talk about, kind of bring it to – so you you do still watch the game. You mentioned some of the guys who are out of it don't really pay any attention anymore, but you seem like a hopeless romantic for the game too, true or false? Absolutely. I watch every level of the game. I watch college. I coach an elite high school team in the Houston area. Uh, the professional game to me is the most beautiful version because there's nuances that only someone who's actually seen, you know, a thousand innings in their life can tell. And uh, it's just some of the things I love about the game that – Seeing like Tony Watson go out, and that's just kind of a, you know, uh, man crush pick because I, you know, played with Tony. He's a good friend of mine. To see him work the eighth inning, throw a 95 mile an hour, 95 mile an hour two seam fastball that's black, is a thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. Thing of beauty. And yeah. not and not just because you topped out at you were like a what 92, 93, and you're on a good day. Yeah, you know. That's probably about right, depending on how many beers we had met before. <laughs> but when you live right next to the B doves, that's a, that's a dangerous proposition. So, I mean, that's my that's my that's my diet. That's true. So talk to me through this. By the time people hear this, it'll already be a week since um, the MLB draft started. Uh, you were a, a 19th round pick. You see these kids now. The draft's getting a lot more coverage, even in the last two three years, than it did when you were coming up. What's What's it like being drafted, whether it's you're a top 10 pick, you're a bonus baby, or you're uh, coming out of high school and kind of a, a flyer that a team's taking on you? What's the anticipation like? What's the aftermath like? Put us in the day of a life of a baseball draftee. Baseball draftee, I mean, uh, I'll give it to you. So it's 2004. I got graduated about 36 hours. Uh, I thought I was going to be getting in the third through fifth round. I kind of set that up with some teams. And all of a sudden, there was a run on college infielders and high school outfielders in the second round. And my name didn't get called throughout the first day. I got picked up in the second second day, first round, 19th round. Um, uh, I was in second period and got called. I was elated. I didn't really know what it meant because I was like, 19th round, what does that mean? Like, do I sign? I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, my first call was my parents. I let them know I got drafted. My parents were very happy. I called my agent. Um, and I was like, Jim, what does this mean? He's like, I'll meet you for dinner. Um, so he came over. The the pirate scout came over. And uh, really, it was just kind of a discussion of who I want to do. And I said, I want to play baseball. I want a baseball player. And so he goes, well, here's our first offer. Um, I recommend you don't sign it. And we'll go from there. And sure enough, I saw their offer. It was not, not nearly enough for me not to go to school. And... Mm-hmm. Um, it was just kind of an ongoing discussion. I went and played college summer ball that summer after my graduation. So I got to play against older guys and I pitched well and 
You know, I had a few good games where I bumped up a couple couple good fastballs, and they said, you know, let's, let's give them a chance. And so they kind of met me halfway. Um, the day signing your contract, you think you are on top of the world. And I still, to this day, remember it. I went and had a big steak in Pittsburgh, and I thought I was going to be in the big leagues in five days. And your first day down on the farm is your biggest eye-opener because you realize everybody's 6'2 to 6'4, 225 pounds. They all throw 92. They all got a great breaking ball. And you're like, oh, wow, I'm just another dude. And you have to literally find a way to separate yourself every single day. And you don't realize that when you get drafted. You're just so pumped you got drafted. You're like, oh. I may, I'm one of the guys. I'm a dude. Um, and it, it really doesn't hit you. And the quicker it does hit you, um, and I wish it would hit me a little quicker. And I'm smiling as I say it because I know I was about two years too late till I realized it. But uh, <laughs> you got to find you got you got you got to really get get that mindset of like, okay, everyone everyone here is good. That's there's a reason why we all got drafted. Yeah, it's got to be. So, I mean, I remember, and this is completely different in terms of the scenario, but I remember going to this national like high school junior newspaper writer conference or something when I was a sophomore in high school. And until then, all I'd ever heard about any of my newspaper articles, whatever, which is how I kind of got started in media, it was from my mom, from my grandma, from whoever. Oh, that's a great job. You're, you're the best writer I've ever seen. You know, how old are you? That kind of stuff. And then you go to this thing and it's the best, you know, young writers from around the country and they had an award ceremony. And I think I was nominated for a couple and I thought I was guaranteed to win them all. And I walked home with one third place trophy, and it's like, wow, okay, so that's how this actually works. Um, and it, yeah, that first exposure, it's kind of a, a cold shower for you. I, I agree. I agree entirely because it, with writing, it's an artistic, uh, you know, point of view, and that's baseball. I mean, you're out there with your own point of view of how you go about things, and you know, people are going to either really enjoy it, and it, I guess, and maybe I'm wrong when I say this, but. I think when you look at baseball players or you look at writing, it's subjective. It's beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, in more ways than one. All right, well, I got just a couple minutes here for you, so we're going to do some quick wrap-ups. I um, want to talk to you kind of about the game today because you do have that thousand-inning nuance uh, expert expertise, and you still follow the game, so you're kind of the perfect person to talk about this kind of stuff. What's Who's the one, the one player in the bigs right now that you just love to watch from your point of view? Speaking of beauty in the eye of the beholder, who's your guy? Uh, a homer pick right now is Andrew McCutcheon. Mm-hmm. I I love his, and he and I came in right around the same time. He's a year younger than me. Um, watching his maturation in the big leagues has been absolutely amazing. Um, I'm glad he shaved his dreads this year. I think he looks he looks like a pro. Oh, I love the dreads um, though. That was so that was so trademark. Uh, I you know what to me it's I thought it was a lasting's millage look and I just had a uh, bad taste in my mouth. That's from a, that. that's a good point. That's a fair point. Um, another guy I really liked watching was Jose Fernandez with Miami. Um, from a stuff perspective, before he got hurt, it was scary. It was, to me, it was like Roger Clemens with that power riding fastball and that great breaking ball. Oh, that curve! And just kind of like oh, and he had that ad to uh, come at me like. Nobody's gonna charge Roger Clemens in '86. Like, come on. Right. <laughs> so, I just thought I just thought I, I loved watching him. Um, West Coast stuff. Uh, I mean, obviously, growing up in Seattle, King Felix to me is a guy who's gone from being a 95 mile an hour power sinker to just this almost uh, power finesse. 
with the ability to manipulate a baseball in a way that I haven't seen really in my life. And so I really like watching him. Kershaw, having a down year in my mind, but he's really, really fun to watch, of course. I mean, he's one, he's going to go down as one of the best left-handers of all time. Yeah. Um, this season, particularly with me being in Houston, I'm a little bit kind of blown away by the Astros. Out of and nowhere I'd this love year. To hear, yeah. I'd like to get your opinion on that because – I thought the Houston Astros were playing in the International League, but apparently the NL West. <laughs> um, the AL West, yeah, they moved. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I mean, they they did the they kind of did the Brewers thing from a couple of years ago where you just stockpile these top 10 picks, like when they had Prince Fielder and uh, when Ricky Weeks was good mm-hmm. and, and Braun. And now they're doing this, but they, they're better, faster than expected. They just called up Correa last week. Um, you know, Springer is a stud, looks like. I mean, good for them. That's, you know, best laid plans when, when it accelerates a little bit faster than you want it to. That's what everybody's hoping for. Yeah. Um, and they pick up they picked up a player. I'll tell you right now, they picked up a guy in the supplemental first round. I think he was 37th overall. His dad is Mike Cameron. His name is Daz Cameron. I think Daz Cameron is going to be one of the best players out of this draft because he has baseball savvy and he's got four tools that play right now. All right, book that. That's the scout The scout of Bradley Clapp talking here. So There we go. We'll revisit that. There one. we go. All right, my last two quick hitters for you. Uh, we just talked about the players you'd love, you'd love to watch. If you, Different question for different reasons. Which guy do you think you'd want to be a teammate of in the bigs right now? So a guy that you wouldn't mind riding the, the plane with, I guess, in this case, or sitting on the pine with or in the bullpen. Who's the guy you'd oh. like, you know what, I want to, be, want to wear the shirt with him? Um... Gosh, that's a tough one. Who would I like to be on a plane with? I mean, I'd like to play some cards, maybe have a beer. I'm, I'm, I want to go with Josh Beckett and like I think I want to say the 2013 Red Sox when they had that collapse. Oh yeah, the chicken and beer, whatever Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'd love to be the 12th guy in that bullpen on that team. Like, <laughs> you know what? I got a lot of work that year because we were getting worked over. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I would say I would like to be with, I mean, gosh, that's a tough question. I'm, I'm going to go David Ortiz for one only reason, because he likes good rap music and he looks like he eats well, and I'm into that. that that's all you need in life. Awesome. Well, last one, this is just a question I asked everybody, so you got to be on the hot seat. You get to give your 20-year-old self 10 seconds of advice. What do you say? Don't worry so much. Words to live by now. Forget about 20. That's good stuff. I mean, the 20-year-old me was so concerned with every single day. If I didn't get a PFP or if I, you know, if I didn't hold a runner, you know, long enough, I was just a nervous wreck. Um, I look back now, I'm like, man, that's, that's one, that's, that's a deep breath away from being okay. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. BC, this was an awesome conversation, man. I could talk to you for hours about uh, the good old days and, and the ball game, but uh, these folks want to get off uh, off their iPhones or however they're listening to this, and hopefully we'll get to talk again sometime. This was awesome. Absolutely. Killer Mike, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you reaching out, and uh, hopefully we don't, we don't spend our six years before we talk again. No, and hopefully get to the city sometime. Real quick, let the people know if you want to plug yourself for anything, find you on Twitter, Instagram, anything like that. I mean, you can find me on Instagram. I'm obviously a private follow, but uh, Big Cat in your face. Um, 
Oddly enough, uh, my nickname is Big Cat, which is weird to me. But, yeah, that's about all I got for you. <laughs> all right, good stuff, man. Slay it down there uh, in Texas and the surrounding areas, and we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Good one. All right, man. Catch you later. Thank you so much again to Bradley Clapp for joining me on the show. Hopefully you guys liked it. He's, I mean, he's the man. Uh, we used to, I mentioned in our interview there, we used to ride the bus and it was me in the front as the broadcaster with the coaches. We kind of got the preferred seating in the bus. And as he is kind of the veteran, was sitting right behind me all the time. So a lot of uh, war stories, a lot of time on the road, me and BC. And it's just great to have him uh, come on the show and really talk about a part of life that a lot of people don't understand for athletes. And just hearing him talk about that kind of soul searching and the three months where he couldn't really just get back on the horse after he had to retire. Really crazy stuff. I mean, if I had to, at this point in my life, kind of start from scratch and do something totally brand new, I'm not sure how I could do it. And yet hundreds, uh, if not thousands of athletes are doing that every single year. So really cool to hear from him and get that perspective and obviously hear some of the more fun stories. Um, I had never heard that one about the chicks um, that got him in trouble and got cost him his promotion. Uh, which, yeah, be careful. Girls can cost you a lot. Uh, now, we let the ladies, though, and hopefully, um, you know, I think next week, if all goes according to plan, we'll have our first female guest on the show, but I won't give away any more than that. So make sure to uh, to check it out and subscribe to the iTunes feed so you can get all the new stuff as it comes out every week. All right, so the one thing I wanted to talk about this week, uh, and this is how I'll try and end the show weekly, is with my one little thing. And this week it's about the Game of Thrones finale, and it will be very spoiler-heavy discussions. So if you haven't seen the show yet or you don't care about the show but want to save it for some other time, definitely uh, tune out now, hit stop, and we'll see you next week. But for those of you that want to stay, we'll chat about that, and I'll give you a two-second little breather here to get off the podcast if you do want to avoid the spoilers. All right, what the hell? That's the one thing that I want to say about that episode. I mean, ugh. The one thing that, from what I've read and in the interviews George R. R. Martin has done, and I'm not a book reader, I'm just a show watcher, so this is coming from the perspective of someone that doesn't know what's coming. I uh, have never known what's coming. I'm just watching the show strictly as a TV show. And what people have charged him with is kind of being just a nihilistic writer, that the whole point of this series, this show, the books is just to say that everything sucks and everything's going to work out terribly and this is not a fairy tale that you're used to and we're just going to make everything you love uh, something that you're going to hate us for for ruining. And it's hard. He says that's not what he's all about. He says that's not why he's writing this book. He says that's not the kind of author he is and you know, by the show by proxy is not that kind of show, but I'm finding it harder and harder to believe that with all the stuff that, you know, the fans love going completely wrong that that's not the case. So uh, it's frustrating. I still love the show, obviously, but I just wanted to kind of get the feelings off my chest of what I thought about that final episode. I mean, to see to see John go at the end was just... I mean, I'm used to it by now. You know, after the Red Wedding and the Purple Wedding and uh, all that stuff, it's, it's tough. But you kind of realize that, you know, once you see something happening, that you're just going to have to kind of deal with it and process it. But, I mean, this show is running out of likable people. Uh, a buddy of mine texted me right afterward um, to say that, you know, all he likes that's left is Tyrion. That's the only person. And depending on your thoughts uh, on Danny and, you know, what you think about Jamie as a rehabilitated character, it's, I mean, there, there's a lot of small secondary people to love. Braun is still around, stuff like that, Varys. But in terms of people that are main characters, that are in kind of the protagonist role, 
yeah, we're running out of people to like. Uh, Danny, I guess, although she's kind of, I can take her or leave her some weeks. Uh, Tyrion, everyone loves, but, you know, he's kind of sidelined now and, and off to do his own thing and not really be involved in the main story again. I mean, it took him a whole season just to get to Marine, pretty much, and now he's going to be sitting there who knows how long until Danny gets her, her act together. And, I mean, it's really a brand, maybe. You know, he was off this season, but that's a kid. You're, you're kind of pulled for the Stark family in general, but they just keep getting picked off one by one, uh, slowly but surely. Who knows what happened to Arya there with the, the blinding scene there, her last scene for the season. Sansa, did she jump to her death? Uh, I doubt that. We probably would have seen the corpse if that was the case. But still, it's like, man, give me a break with with all these people that we're cheering for just getting kneecapped. It sucks. So it makes me wonder just how uh, how I'm going to go about watching this show next season. Obviously, I still love it. Obviously, it's still great. It drives a lot of the conversation, and there's no way I would stop watching it. But it's tough to be watching something that really just tries to, to rip your guts out at every turn. And that's cool, and that's obviously part of being a great show. But just how many times and how often and how frequent can that kind of stuff happen without, before people throw in the towel? Uh, I know a lot of people that have, I think with the Shireen burning scene uh, the week before, that was a chance for a lot of people to say, I'm done. Uh, I'm not done. But at the same time, you know, you're running out of people to like and people to pull for. And on Twitter, I saw a lot of folks were saying, at this point, I just hope the White Walkers come by and and kill everyone and just get it over and done with. And that might be kind of where we're going. And it might be something that at this point, if no one that we like is going to be around anyway, then yeah, why the hell not? Let all the zombies come down, take over, and just end the show with, you know, winter is here. Boom, game over. And uh, and we'll see if that's how it actually turns out, because that's kind of the way I think it's going. So that was my one thing for this week, was just I wanted to get some quick thoughts off my chest uh, from the Game of Thrones finale. And now it'll be a long year to wait and see just exactly how all that stuff plays out. But still, I mean, probably if I had to pick one show on TV right now that I w- would not give up over any other, that would still be the one, and we'll see how long that relationship lasts uh, as next season takes a while to get back into our lives. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you very much again for listening. Don't forget, you can catch us on iTunes now if you're listening through my website or through uh, Podomatic. Uh, go to iTunes. We can subs- download, subscribe, give me some good reviews or bad reviews. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but the good ones are my preferred ones. So uh, definitely subscribe. Keep me in your pocket at all times. Uh, make sure to check me out at MikeJanella.com. That'll also give you the information for uh, my awesome intro music and where you can find uh, more about the guy who did that, Grapes, and some of his other songs and some of his other work. And obviously, um, you know, Brad, Bradley Clapp, thank you, uh, if you're listening again, buddy, for coming on board. And make sure to check him out. Uh, he gave you the Instagram handle in the interview, so make sure to follow him there. And definitely wish him luck, and maybe we'll get him back on the show uh, at some point to see how that, uh, that post-playing career is going. As for me, make sure to follow me at Mike Janella on Twitter, and definitely check out MikeJanella.com for all the uh, other stuff you might be missing, former podcast episodes if you've missed any, and then we'll be back next week with another guest to see what we're doing there. So thank you very much for watching, or for listening, I should say, to the Mike Janella Show. Hope you enjoyed. I'll do better next time. See ya!